Good, good evening, everyone. It is a delight to have you here with us, whether you're here in the house or joining us from your house online or watching this later in the week. Maybe when March Madness starts on Thursday, you'll go, hey, I need a sermon before that. And you can pull up this and worship along with us and, and have a good time. So uh, we are glad to have you. Uh, Arizona made it in. We're excited about that. And, uh, and let's just hope, people. Let's just hope. I mean, because it's been... Is it 22 years since the Final Four? Has it been that long? Okay, let's just take a moment. Uh, we're going to have a quiet moment of prayer. I'm just kidding. Um, but we're, we're hoping. We'll see where things go. Uh, but we're glad to have you here, uh, especially if you're new. I met a few of you that are, this is your first time, so we're delighted to have you here. Uh, a couple quick things for you. There's water in the foyer. The restrooms are down that way if you need that. If you're watching from home, I'm assuming you know where the restroom is. Uh, and you can figure that out. If you happen to be new, we'd love to invite you to download our free app. Just go to your app store, type in Element City Church. You'll find us. We'll find you, and we'd love to invite you to fill out the connection card. That's a way for us to, to walk with you over the next couple weeks, and so we know it's hard coming to a new place, so this is our way. We'll send one text a week or one email a week. I promise we won't spam you, but we'll try to help answer questions as we go along, and the second part of that is I want to invite you, if you are new to our 10-minute party, happens in the back corner there. It lasts less than 10 minutes, and you get the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon just for showing up, um, so we'd love to invite you to that if you happen to be new. And just to let you know, we're inviting you, all of you, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but in a few weeks, April 1st, no joke, uh, we are doing a... Um Easter Family Festival, and we're looking for some people to be a part of our hospitality crew to welcome the entire neighborhood and people who are family connections and friends and invites from Emmanuel Baptist Church that meets here in the morning and from Element City Church as we host that together. It's going to be inflatable games, snow cones, face painting, egg hunts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're opening up to the whole community, but we're looking for people to help volunteer on our uh, hospitality crew. So if you'd like to be part of that, you can sign up in the lobby. There's some sign-up sh uh, sheets there, and you can participate in that. So um, that'd be great. Thank you to all of you who helped with our second Saturday food distribution yesterday. Uh, it's just so cool to, to see people. I know we had one lady come for the very first time and was like, I'm out of food, and this is just an answer to prayer. Uh, and so the reason we serve is to make a difference for people, and God uses that. So thanks for being uh, a part of that. You can always join us in doing that every second Saturday uh, of the month. So tonight we're going to pray for Community uh, Christian Church of Marana. We always pray for the Church of the Week and uh, Community Christian Church and Pastor David there. And so if you're here in the house, I'm going to invite you to stand up as we kind of start in prayer and we're going to dive into worship. We're going to continue on our series. I'll be back to teach in a little bit and then we'll kind of call it an evening. So thanks for being here again and thanks for tuning in online. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we just hit pause. Uh, busy week, maybe a busy week ahead. But we want to lean into your presence so, Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Invite you in your presence to mingle with our hearts for you to be active in our midst tonight. Pray your blessing over our kids, over the families represented here, over each one who's sitting here watching online. God, each one of us needs a word from you. We're asking your blessing into our life. Would you help us to hear from you tonight? We, we pray for Pastor David in the Community Christian Church in Marana. Father, it takes the church to reach the million plus people that aren't connected in any faith community. We can't reach them all. 
And so we pray your blessing over their church, wisdom for their leaders, provision for the, the, the mission and the vision that you've given them. Would you continue to give them inroads to be a blessing to the community around them and draw people to them? Father, we thank you for mingling in with our hearts and our time as we worship you now. We give you these next few moments of just aiming our attention and our devotion in your direction. Would you minister to our hearts as we seek to minister a blessing to you, to praise you for who you are and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name.
Look to the sun In the test, in the trial His grace is enough His grace is enough And oh my soul Remember who you're singing to Take heart, hold on Remember who you're singing to trust it's in Jesus
Oh, the perfect Son of God in all his innocence. You're walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. A man of sorrow, son of suffering. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. So imagine that I
how can it be that there's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds, so praise the one who would reach for me, hallelujah, to the Son of suffering, yes, hallelujah, to the Son of suffering, hallelujah, to the Son of suffering, who laid it all down, hallelujah, to the Son of We just stand before you tonight, knowing that we can freely do this uh, because of the price that you paid for us. And man, I, I just, sometimes we forget how profound it is that all throughout history, all the different cultures that have created a, a God, that the gods were always fickle, the gods were always just so transcendent that uh, they, they toyed with the humans that they weren't meant to be known. They were feared, and yet you stepped into the scene as the creator God, the one we believe who, who spoke life into existence. And in a, a system that's full of anxiety and um, just worry and fear, you stepped down into that as a man, as a God who could cry, as a God who could bleed, as a God who could relate. Man, what kind of a God uh, would lessen himself in that way? To lower himself, to, to become like the state of his creation. And yet in doing so, you never sinned, you never messed up, you never did anything that took away from your holiness, that took away from your deity. And yet Jesus, you came and did what we never could do. You brought us back to life. You gave us life with the Father. And gave us the ability to not just be known, but to, to know others, to love others in the way that you have loved us. That's what this is all about, Jesus. It's about you. It's about what you've done for us and how you've then sent us out to go and live this out, to invite others to receive the transformative power of the gospel in the way that we have. So Jesus, just be glorified tonight. Would it please you to just make your presence known here to everyone who's here tonight, that for those who might feel that you're distant and far off and removed, that they'd have a moment tonight where they would just sense your presence with them, that they would sense your loving embrace. For those who are broken and looking for healing and wholeness, God, would you show up and begin to mend pieces of the heart that need to be. For those of us who've carried our worries and our fears in here, would we be able to set them down before you and see you ultimately as bigger, as better, as in control of those things, and to know that we can lay it before you and let you bear the burden with us, Jesus. We love you. grateful that we get to gather together to lift up these songs to you, these songs of praise. And so we don't want the worship to stop now. It's only just starting. 
And so, Lord, would you allow us to continue to worship as we look into the word? As Jack comes, would you anoint him and speak through him tonight? And we pray it all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you, man. It's so good to worship with you, and we continue that, as Lyle said. <clears throat> We've been in this series called Unhurried, trying to live more at the, the pace of grace, and um, uh, Lyle and, and I have kind of looked at different practices, and, and really, uh, I feel like we've heard um, from a lot of you through either conversation or text message or emails that this has struck a chord, that there's something about this, it's wooing you to, to want to live a more unhurried life in a cultural backdrop that pushes the exact opposite of that for us to live in a hurried sense, to maybe for us to, to long to move more at the pace of grace and to continue to put roots down into the, the practical expression of what does it mean to orient our life around Jesus and not just Jesus and his teachings and his healings, but really the rhythms of his life, how he lived. Because if we can begin to live maybe more in unison or in alignment with those kind of rhythms, that maybe we'll have more and more of his kind of heart formed within us. That's really what the scriptures speak about. And that really comes from this great invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. So if you have uh, your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 11. If you have the app, you can open that up and go down to sermon notes and follow along with everything I'm gonna talk about tonight. Matthew 11, this great invitation of Jesus says this, come to me, he says. Not come to a political system or come to a philosophy of life, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, who are hurried, who are burdened down with life, and I will give you what? Rest. Now, often in our culture, we want more to do. And so a lot of things we give our lives to, they give us more to do. And Jesus is saying, I don't have more for you to do. There are some things for you to, to do, but I'm gonna give you rest. And if we're just honest, if it was just you and me at coffee, I bet the longing deep within your heart is to experience a little bit more of that. And you're not alone. I think within our cultural context and moment of history, I think a lot of people long for that kind of rest that he talks about. Take my yoke upon you and learn from, not a philosophy, not a system, learn from me, Jesus is saying. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, again, rest for your soul. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so really a key thought we've had throughout this whole series is, hey, if I can practice more of the life rhythms of my Savior, with the help from my Savior, I might actually be enabled to live more like my Savior that I wanna live with this, and this really kind of flows from our vision as a church, that as a church, Elements is an inviting community of Jesus followers, that we are commissioned by the gospel to make disciples, not just make fans of Jesus, but to make people, help people understand what does it mean to orient your life around Jesus? And we wanna do that by cultivating relationships with the love of Christ. All of this flows and pursues after what we feel like God's given for us to pursue. 
as we position ourselves with practices and habits of how we live and live out that vision as well as living in alignment and orienting ourselves around Jesus. We kind of said in week one, we've come back to it uh, all throughout this series, and again, we're gonna circle back to some of this, a different aspect or angle of looking at these kind of practices and rhythms in the summer. Uh, but we'll wrap up next week as Lyle's going to teach about uh, Sabbath and what does that mean and what does that look like and is that still relevant today? And, but we kind of looked at this quote from theologian Dallas Willard that said this, as followers of Jesus, and I recognize not everyone in here or watching online is a follower of Jesus. And you know what? We think that's awesome. Actually, especially if you're not, that if you're just investigating spiritual things, like we want this to be a safe place for you to kind of lean in toward what many of us become convinced about is Jesus really is the real deal. And, and those who have given their lives over, surrendered to him and his leadership, but also kind of orienting themselves around him, they just find a better way to live. And that's the invitation we see the scriptures. And what Dallas was saying is, as followers of Christ, if that's you, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There's so much undercurrent and so many things that entangle us when we give ourselves over to living in a hurried state and and going after this. And listen, I I told you at the beginning, this is something that I've been on a journey for the last decade or so, and for some of you, I bet you think, oh, he's a pastor, he's got the hang of this, doing this a lot longer, I tried two weeks ago starting. And I feel like I'm failing. Listen, we are all a work in progress. So let me just kind of set you at ease of my failures. Eight, nine, ten years into this. This is not something you master, okay? This isn't like going from the white belt in karate to the black belt and like, but this is something that becomes more rhythmic in your life and it just has a way of shaping you and changing you. A week ago, I'm sitting at a hockey game. And, I mean, that in itself is cool. But I'm there, and my my wife, who I haven't seen in, like, 36 hours, because I was at this little conference thing, and I come back, and she's telling me the story uh, of what transpired that day. And I just wanted her to finish the story. Like, I'm being real. Everything in me. And halfway through the story, here's what hit me. It was like the Holy Spirit was just like, you jerk. You have all the unhurried time for people as you pastor and as you shepherd. And and like you don't seem troubled when people are sharing. And here's the person I've gifted you with to be the number one champion of your life. And you are are treating her like this? Like this is the person I crafted and I have such high delight in her. How dare you treat her like that? This is all happening internally as I'm listening to the story and my heart is racing, my mind is racing, like I'm just keeping it real. We are all a work in progress and so the guy who can talk about the unhurried life still struggles with this, still struggles with why do I feel so hurried around the people who are closest to me? Why is that? Why is my temper quicker 
with the people who are closest, who care, who love me the most. And we can make speculation. We can say, oh, it's because they can take more and whatever you want to put in there. You have your own story. I don't think I'm alone. But just being honest. This is why this idea of leaning into these practices, of following after Jesus, is so much more about training versus trying. This is about training yourself, of living in such a way that you, you become more and more this type of person. It's not just about getting the gumption and, and buckling down and trying really, really hard. There's effort involved, but this really is about positioning yourself, posturing yourself, training yourself to become more and more this kind of person. And so as we look back at this whole idea of, uh, of, of simplifying this idea of solitude and silence, the reason we want to engage in this, the idea of slowing, and these are what we've looked at the last few weeks, this is about training your heart and about training your soul, about training yourself, even your body at times, to say, I want to become this kind of person. That's more and more like Jesus. Like, I think deep down, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, that's what you want. But it doesn't just happen. We can pray and we can practice. And and the practice isn't to try to get God's approval. Listen, you have all of God's approval you will ever need and ever get. Why? Because of Jesus. We rest in that. What he's longing for you is to come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. And so that's the invitation as we begin to live this. See, uh, John Ortberg wrote this. Remember, we looked at it the first week. It's because it kills love that hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry lies behind much of the anger and frustration in modern life. And I bet you recognize that in yourself. I am the worst person. I make the biggest mistakes when I'm hurried. I bulldoze over people, I emotionally disengage, I drift, and I'm not alone, am I? It just happens. When I'm living at that hurried pace, when I feel like I've gotta get to number next and I can't be in the moment I'm in. And that was me last Friday. My hunch is that'll be me next Wednesday too. And so that's why this invitation is not, okay, know this stuff and now you're good. No, no, practice this stuff. Hurriedness leads us into reactionary kind of living and a selfish kind of living. But living more and more unhurried actually frees us to respond intentionally and lovingly. And so when it comes to Jesus, this unhurried kind of life that he modeled, it had an effect on his demeanor and on his actions and how he interacted with those around us and those around him. Uh, I've asked this question before, we've talked about this before, so I wanna camp on it as we look at this next practice, this practice of cultivating compassion, which is an incredible thing. We all are blessed when we receive compassion, but is an exhausting thing to be a person who gives it. It is, it's draining. But it's this invitation. Do you know the most described emotion of Jesus that we see in the scriptures? 
Do you know what the most described emotion of Jesus is? Uh, We'll get there in a second, but let me back up a little bit. I just want you to see it in the heart and the descriptor of God through the scriptures. A lot of people have a different idea and a lot of people place, okay, here's the emotions of God, here's the implications of God, and they'll read certain things and they'll proof text and take little things out of context and go, that's what God's like. No, no, the most described emotion that we see is the descriptor of God in the scriptures. Here's one of those ones. Exodus chapter 34, it's the giving of the Ten Commandments the second time. Uh, as, uh, the people, as Moses came down the first time and broke the Ten Commandments, you remember that from the movie from a long time ago, and he's up there on the mountain again, and God shows up, and this is what it says, Exodus 34, the Lord came down in a cloud. Often we see that in scripture, God not totally revealing totally who he is, but revealing himself in this. He stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed this, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. When you describe yourself to someone, we tend to lean on our best qualities first. I'm a hard worker. I'm whatever you want to fill in with that. God begins with what he's best at, and we must not miss that. The Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining that faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. He will not leave the guilty unpunished, it goes on. And in verse eight, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. God, you're telling me who you are, and I'm blown away. It's what the psalmist repeats, Psalm 103, verse 8. You actually see this multiple times throughout the psalms. The psalmist kind of depicting, here's what God's like. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. The faithful love is this hesed kind of love. It's where uh, in New Testament we, we call it grace, we call it this agape kind of love that meets us. Hesed is this idea of covenantal kind of love. It's this non-breakable kind of love. It's this faithful, hesed kind of love that God has. So what's the most described emotion of Jesus? I kind of gave you a big hint. The most described emotion of Jesus, we see it in his life, Matthew chapter nine, verse 35 and 36. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. Do you think that got exhausting? Just think about it. Do you think that got tiring? In his humanity, he's divine, but in his humanity, he is also human. When he saw the crowds, he felt annoyed. Anyone feel annoyed when they see crowds? Anyone feel annoyed when you're walking down the grocery store aisle and you see that person and you're like, ah! I mean, you don't do that out loud because that's not right to do. But in your heart, you're like, ah, not again. Right? We've all had those moments. When Jesus saw the crowds, he wasn't annoyed. He wasn't aggravated. He was moved with what? Million dollar word, compassion. He felt compassion for them, why? Because they were harassed, distressed, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is the two Greek words, come is the society of with, and passion is the society of suffering. 
I'm suffering with. I'm not just empathetic. Empathetic says I notice something's not right. Compassion says I'm coming alongside you in the midst of it, and I'm walking with you. At least on an emotional and a relational level, you are present with the others and their struggle and in their suffering. You feel for them, not just feel bad for them. I feel for them in that. You have empathy and compassion that says, I feel you. Empathy says, I notice you. Compassion says, I'm present with you. This is the most described emotion of Jesus when you read through the gospel accounts. So the question becomes, listen, listen, don't miss this. As a follower of Jesus, is this the most described emotion of you? Is this the most described emotion of me? What's it like being on the other side of Jack? What's it like being on the other side of you? And when I ask that question sometimes, like last Friday, I don't like the answer. I fail more often than I get it right. But when I get it right, it's so good. When I get it wrong, it's a train wreck. Sometimes you can't look away. And I don't think I'm alone. My hunch is you feel the same thing at times. Is the most described emotion of Jesus the most described emotion of me? See, when you look around the world and you hear people's describe Christians, uh, Christians literally means like little Christ, meant to, to represent him in the world. Do people think these are the most compassionate people? Is that the descriptor that the world knows as Christians? I would venture that maybe they know us by something different. So we talk about, around here, being active agents for God and his good in the world. That's what we have been commissioned to be a part, that we have been sent ones. The empathy and compassion, being others-focused, are the type of qualities that we're to have in our walk with Jesus that therefore just overflows in how we live with people around you. And that is a challenge against a culture that wants to push us to make it all about you. And it's all about me in our culture. That's the the undertones, the current of the world around us. The Mayo Clinic offers a helpful definition about narcissism or the narcissistic personality disorder. In a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need of excessive attention and admiration, They have troubled relationships and they lack empathy for others. Does that not describe our culture? And so much of the undertones of it and against the backdrop of a society that has a narcissistic bent to it, myself included at times, we are reminded again and again about the heart of Jesus. What's the most described emotion of Jesus? The one who could have made it all about himself, rightfully so didn't. The one who was perfect and who had every right to make it all about him never did. He showed compassion. We see in the life of Jesus a dazzling display of empathy and compassion in so many hosts of ways, so many examples of it. 
Empathy is the ability to feel with others. Compassion is the outworking of empathy, coming alongside. Do you know the shortest verse in the Bible? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Complete sentence. Jesus understands he's shown up to the, the death of Lazarus, and Lazarus has been buried now for three plus days. Mary and Martha are missing him. And they come out to Jesus, if you would have been here, it would have been different. The scenario would not have played out this way, Jesus. And he goes to the tomb. What they didn't know in that moment, but what Jesus knew is he's gonna raise Lazarus back from the dead. But what did he do first? He wept. He was moved in those minutes, in those moments, for the grief that was around and the people who had gathered. When Jesus saw the crowds, he wasn't annoyed. He wasn't agitated. He wasn't ticked off. He was moved with compassion. So much so that the Greek word literally talks about a, it may seem gross, but a moving within his bowels, your intestines. Like, you ever had that, like, not the hangry feeling, but like, you know, the other feeling when you gotta go? It's like Jesus leaned into those moments and that was the feeling. I don't like this. It's the the man in the temple and the synagogue with the withered hand. And it's the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are watching. Jesus, we're watching you. Are you gonna heal this man? Because it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any miracles or any working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is moved with compassion for a man who suffered for so many years. And he heals him. And he tells them the Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. It's this movement of compassion. So the question, again, becomes, if this is the most described emotion of Jesus, and as a follower of Jesus, is this the most described emotion of you, of me? And sometimes you might like that answer, and sometimes you may not. But the invitation in that question is to lean in and to say, I, I would like it to be more a descriptor because I want to have more and more the heart of Jesus. See, a culture that cultivates empathy and compassion, if we can create a culture like that, people will not be made to feel invisible. They will be seen and they will be heard. And as a church and as a follower of Jesus, we want to see people, we want to hear people. We develop a culture that hears the cries of the distressed, the wounded, and they respond with compassion. We grow our empathy radar, if you will, that we're able to see the people around us and hear maybe even past the words to the ache of the heart. And you can only do that when you're living unhurried. Because when you're hurried, you don't have time to love. You gotta get the number next. And friends, that is why we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives as a follower of Jesus. You won't get this right all the time. You will continually re-enroll in school. 
the school of Jesus. And you will have to log back in for some accelerated credits because you're not all that, nor am I. But the invitation still stands. Come learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Empathy notices, uh, compassion responds. A saying we have around here is do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Uh, Compassion has a limit to it because you are limited. You are limited in your resource, you are limited in your time, you're limited in your capacity, you're maybe limited in the season of life that you're in. And so this isn't the idea of compassion on overload and I fix everyone's problems or I step in and help everyone's struggles. No, 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 you can't do that. That's above your pay grade. It's above mine. Uh, But into the moments, into the scenarios, into the relationships that God brings across your path, you can choose to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And if the church got better at that, well, then that would be a movement. That would be a revolution, wouldn't it? So why don't we? Uh, What if it starts with you? What if it starts with me? That we lean into these practices of slowing, of solitude, of silence, of simplicity, of Sabbath, so that the reason I do these is so that I grow the kind of heart that Jesus had a little bit more in the heart of Jack. That's the reason I do these. I don't do this to earn God's approval or to get the brownie uh, star or, or, or brownie. I mean, brownie's pretty cool. Uh, but like, I don't do that to like, get those. I do this because I want to be more like Jesus. And so I enter into these practices, and you're invited into these practices, that we might be this. So with the time I got left, here's what I want to do. I want to walk us through maybe four things that if we're trying to grow and cultivate this practice of compassion, like if we want to get better at that, and I'm assuming you do, I'm just kind of inserting your own answer, because I think this is you, I know you well enough to go, yeah, I think you want this. And so if you want this, then what are some practices that we can do? So outside of like what we've looked at so far, slowing, of simplicity, of silence and solitude, Henry Nouwen talks about that silence is like the breeding ground for compassion. There's something when it's not all about you and you're not always trying to talk that it helps you be aware of the people around you. Uh, This idea, these practices, and so maybe the first one is just this, remember, remembering the compassion that you've been given. Friend, uh, the reason we sing, the reason we worship, the reason we wanna help create a heart of a worshiper in each one of us is to never lose sight of the compassion that you've been given in Jesus, that as a follower of him, he sought you out. He not only created you, he has an identity to give you. You don't have to create your own identity. You don't have to wrestle through the struggle of that. He is gifting you a new identity as a new creation, one who is rescued and redeemed in him through faith in his son Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the invitation. That's the beauty of it, is we're given that. You don't have to earn that, you can't. You don't have to create that, you can't. You're gifted that. And in that, he's inviting you 
to always remember what you've been given, to remember that he sought you out first. It wasn't that you went looking for God. God went looking for you. That's the story of Jesus. And I want to highlight that in um, Mark chapter 5. There's this interesting story that is, is always captivated my attention. So I don't have time to read it all, so I'm just going to unpack it. So at the end of, uh, of Mark chapter 4, uh, in the end of Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus is teaching, and he's got this large crowd around him. He's teaching all these principles, and you can read it. It's awesome stuff. Uh, like, everything in the Bible is pretty awesome. So, like, well, there's some confusing things, but, like, most of this is really awesome, and you should read it in Mark chapter 4. And at the end of Mark chapter 4, huge crowd. And then Jesus goes, hey, we need to go to the other side of the lake. Um, we got a huge crowd right here, Jesus. Like, why are we jettisoning this, like, scene? He's like, I got something to do. He goes across the Sea of Galilee, and in Mark chapter 5, what you read is he shows up at a cemetery. Weird. Anyone here just go hang out at the cemetery? Okay, a little weird. Okay, like, we don't do that. I was in the cemetery this week for a, a memorial service, and I realized, you know, I don't hang out here. I, I go to restaurants around here, I drive by, but I don't really stop and like camp out and bring a tent or a hammock. Hang out here. I don't. No one to talk to. I drove by a cemetery one time, totally side note. I asked my dad, how many people are dead in there? I started thinking, trying to count up. He goes, all of them. <laughs> That's a pretty good dad joke. Okay, so anyway. Um, so, like, <clears throat> he shows up at a cemetery. And there's this demon-possessed guy who is living in the cemetery, literally cutting himself with rocks. He's so demoralized, handicapped in a lot of ways, emotionally. No one can tame him. The people in the crowds, if they know about him, they're like, oh, that's the cemetery guy. Cemetery Carl. Okay, yeah, he's got stories. We don't mess with Cemetery Carl because he's got some issues. We've tried to help, ain't nothing helping. Jesus leaves a crowd of people, the end of Mark chapter four, goes across the Sea of Galilee to one guy in a cemetery. This guy runs up to Jesus, and the demon inside him says, what do you have to do with me, son of God? I know who you are. Why are you here? And Jesus says, come out of him. Ask the name of the demon that's in him. We are legion. We are many. And the demons have to obey Jesus. Why? Because he's got power. More than you, more than me. And he speaks to this legion of demons who's living in this guy, tormenting him. You have to go. And they say, there's a herd of pigs over here. Cast us into the pigs. Weird story. Jesus does, says, fine. Go to the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff like 2,000 pigs and die. Pigs don't swim well. The people who were, you know, like, not sheep herding, but pig herding, I don't know, they were the shepherds of the pigs. They're freaked out. Don't you think you'd be a little freaked out? Your entire herd just died, jumped off a cliff, never done that before. They run and get the townspeople. The townspeople come back, hear the whole story. Uh, I don't think we like you here. You need to go. 
Jesus leaves, gets back in the boat. As he's getting back in the boat, here's what the demon-possessed guy comes up to him and says, verse 18. And when he got back in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed, which means he is no longer demon-possessed, no longer tormented, he asked, can I go with you, Jesus? I'm Cemetery Carl. I don't want to go back to that. You did something in my life that changed me forever. I'd like to go with you. And Jesus says, no. What? Jesus could say, no? Yeah, often he does. Get used to it. No. You go home to your friends and tell them the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has been compassionate to you. He's the first missionary that Jesus sends. Cemetery Carl is the first one. No training. There's no schooling that he went to. No philosophy class he sat through. No three-credit class. Nope. You just go tell people the compassion God's had for you. Share that story. By the way, you're no longer Cemetery Carl. You have a new life. He leaves, and the 10 cities around there become evangelized by Cemetery Carl, formerly known as. See, the compassion that God has given to you and the compassion he's given to me is not meant to stay with you. He has had mercy on you, friends. He's had compassion on me as well. And that's meant to be shared. See, we grow in our compassion when we never forget that. You must never forget the compassion the Lord has had on each of you. He has sought out each of you in your own brokenness, in your own desperation. He has saved you. He continues to save you. He has healed you and he continues to heal you. He redeemed you and he is continuing to redeem you. And now he has sent you to be one who shares the story of what God's done in your life. So remembering matters. Listening matters. In a world that loves to talk, a world of noise, a world that loves to broadcast, never forget the power of listening. Listening well in your brain actually is the same as feeling loved. Think about that. Neuroscience is actually discovering that when you feel heard, you actually feel loved. Even if you disagree. We live in a culture of toxicity. A culture that doesn't listen to one another. They just yell at each other. That's the reality of the world in which we live. That's your reality. And so if Jesus, his most described emotion is compassion, what drew people to Jesus was his ability to hear them. Even when they were nothing like Jesus, they actually liked Jesus. I wonder if our world needs a little bit more of that which means I've got to have the emotional energy to listen. Listening does not come naturally to a culture that likes to talk, to a people who love to talk about themselves. There was a missionary in Japan who described the people of Japan 
And he said, listen, uh, they live very full and busy lives. They're kind of like filled to the brim with water. It's full to the top. And when you try to share the gospel with them, that your water gets poured in, it actually just spills over. And there's no place to receive it. But if you'll actually take time, to listen, to take it in, to hear their stories. And then you've earned room, you've created space for maybe the Holy Spirit to whisper, you know what, here's a verse you could share, here's a story you could share, here's how you can speak into a life that's now created a little bit of space for maybe some more of God and his truth and his ways that will probably be very different than your way of seeing things. But if God is the designer of life, I think he knows best, even when we think it's not. But if we'll allow space, listening is a powerful way to show love. Listening to people's stories gives you credibility and trust that when you have something to share, there's space for you to share it that can actually impact someone's heart. Listening does not happen by default. Do you know what happens by default? Blah! Talking. Reacting. That's what happens by default. Listening has to hit pause. So here's the principle. Ask one more question. When you're in conversations with people, ask one more question. Always just ask one more. Rejoicing and mourning. Just rejoice with people, mourn with people. Here's a Bible verse, you're gonna learn one, ready? Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12, 15. If we just practice this more, we'd be so much better at this. And maybe the fourth one, I don't have time to unpack it all, is just serving. As we serve people, we earn the right to be heard. As we serve people, we remind ourselves it's not all about us. You know why I show up at the second Friday packing for the food distribution? You know why I show up at the second Saturday food distribution? As a pastor, I could probably delegate that, hand that off to someone else and sit that one out. Here's why I do it. Because Jack needs to be reminded that it ain't all about him. And so I need to do things. Amy and I try to do things to serve other people. Why? Because we want to remember it's not all about us. And we've been given compassion, so now we get to give compassion to those around us. I may not always get that right, and I will probably need to re-enroll in these rhythms more and more and more, and that's the invitation for you. What if we enrolled in that, and that we live by the truth, hey, it's more blessed to give than to receive? It's nice to receive, let's be honest, okay? But it is more blessing, Jesus said, to give than to receive. It's not always about you. I'll close with two thoughts. I don't want to grow old and grow grumpy. I know too many old Christians that are grumpy. That will not be me. And if it is, you have every right to come tell me to my face. Stop being grumpy. The joy of the Lord is the gift, not the grumpiness of God. I want to grow in compassion. And that doesn't mean I approve of everything, but it means I listen. It means I remember. 
means I rejoice and I mourn and I serve. Here's the truth. The greatest apologetic for our theology is the way we treat people. Unless, of course, you're a jerk. And then the greatest threat to your theology is the way you treat people. The most described emotion of Jesus is compassion. Is it the most described emotion of you? Is it the most described emotion of me? Maybe sometimes. Definitely not all the time. I want to get better at that. So God, that's what we pray for. The takeaway is we want to be more and more like Jesus. And so maybe there's some practices we need to enter into. Like the ones we've talked about, slowing, simplicity, solitude, silence. Maybe some of the practices from tonight of just remembering your compassion you've given to us. Remembering, listening. God, would you help us to be people as followers of Jesus who actually reflect the heart of Jesus. That when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. God, when we see our friends, our coworkers, our family members, the people around us, may we be moved with compassion as well. That's exhausting at times. It's time consuming for sure. So would you always pour in the compassion? May we be conduits of your compassion to those around us. Doesn't mean we approve of everything, but it does mean we love like Jesus. May we be more like him, we pray.
that's the cry of our heart, to have more of you. So would you help us align and orient our heart, our, our lifestyle, our practices around more of your son so that we gain and grow more and more like him. Would you pour in your spirit's power to each of us who are following after you and those who are maybe kind of looking from the outside, looking in at you, I pray that you would surprise them even this week with your delight, with your love, your compassion, that they might come to be known as the one that God searches for. Amen. To thrill it to, to do church, to do life, to do community, to do trying to pursue after Jesus together. Uh, and so um, a couple of quick things as we get ready to go. We do giving around here a little bit different. We don't pass a plate. And so if you want to be a partner with us financially, we thank you for all of you who do. We get to, to do church, be the church, live on mission and vision through that. And uh, it, it, we always say it takes real money to do real ministry, and that's the reality of it. And so uh, you can give in the boxes in the back, or you can give a lot online. Uh, most people do that. Um, and the after party is next week, so here's the invitation. I really want to invite you to stay after next week. So like, come back and then stay afterwards. We're going to have a couple food trucks. We'll have a jumping castle for kids. We'll have music. We'll just hang out and have a good time. Uh, it'll be a, a little bit shorter service. Marriage retreat, if you're interested in that, is in August. It's available in the app now to sign up and hold your spot if you want to be a part of that. April 1st, Easter Family Festival. Mentioned that at the very beginning. We need people to help serve. And so if that's interest of you, then uh, you can sign up at the table in the lobby tonight. You can help serve in two different time slots uh, on that day. If you are a parent of kids, listen, don't serve. Okay, Your job is to invite another family to come with you. That's your job. We want to serve you. And so those of you who are maybe single adult, college, those of you who are older, your kids are out, like that's us. We get to be the hospitality crew, okay? So we sign up to serve. Uh, 10 minute party tonight is right back here. If you're brand new, I'd love to meet you there in about 32 seconds. Dinner tonight, we always do dinner afterwards. A bunch of people go out to that. Is that Sauce at Broadway and... Broadway Craycroft, thank you, Deb. Um, sauce right there. Uh, meet people in about 20, 25 minutes there. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming. We'll wrap up this series next week. Lyle will be teaching, and we're excited to hang out afterwards together, enjoy a little bit of March Madness. May God bless you. May you sense his compassion for you, and may you be a conduit of that to those around you. God bless.